Welcome back to the Redefining Anger podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Roy, a self-motivated force turned recovering perfectionist. After experiencing the traumatic and sudden loss of my father, turning to anger as a form of protection while living in a state of survival, and facing the wake-up call that I needed nearly two years later, I found community and began a journey of growth and deep internal healing. I'm on a mission to normalize feeling. I believe that getting quiet with yourself and really feeling what needs to be felt is the key to building a relationship of trust and self-respect with yourself. I created this space to vulnerably share my journey with you, how I'm learning to navigate life after loss, and how feeling alive and abundant is still possible. I believe in the power of sharing our stories, and my hope is that my story can empower you to navigate yours. I'm so glad you're here. Hello, hello. I'm your host, Kimberly Roy, the host of the Redefining Anger podcast. After losing my father quite suddenly and traumatically in 2019, I entered into a very trivial point of my life where anger took over and quite frankly became my identity. And it was through community and sharing my story that I was able to begin healing the parts of myself that needed to be healed that quite honestly, I didn't even know needed to be healed. And so I birthed this platform, this podcast for you to show you and to inspire you and to let you know that you are not alone and that your story matters. And it's in sharing your story that the healing can begin. And so many of the conversations that I have had on this podcast with other inspirational women They have all come forward to share their story, um, their unique story that uniquely is a part of them. We are not our stories, rather they are a part of who we are and they do pave the path for where we are headed and it's up to us on what we do with our stories uh, to really guide us forward. And so a lot of the conversations I've had On this podcast, the women that have come forward have really shared their story of anger, the anger that they have felt personally, as well as other quote-unquote negative emotions. But my guest on the show today comes with her story from a different perspective, and she shares her story about anger being projected towards her. So, of course, she had her own emotions that she was going through as well, but the anger in this story is anger that was being projected and directed towards her rather than coming from her, rather than her feeling it. So, it is a unique perspective and it is a remarkable story and so inspirational. So, I am so excited to bring to you my guest today on the podcast, which is Pamela Brett. Pamela is a mathematics specialist and the founder of a nonprofit. She was a K through eight math teacher and math coach, as well as a curriculum writer. She has her doctorate in mathematics education with a focus on how teachers attend to students' beliefs and emotions around learning math. She believes that every person is a math person and it is her life's mission to help people, both kids and adults, see their potential as a mathematician. Pam is an avid reader of all things math education, and she is currently working on launching her podcast, Blue Glasses Math, into the world for all to see math teaching and learning through different lenses. In this episode, Pam shares about her journey as a school teacher, in particular, teaching at a school with marginalized children. Every day was a challenge, facing constant pushback and backlash from her students. Pam speaks about the immense anger that was projected at her from her students and how, at her weakest moment, she chose to persevere rather than give up. Using her intuition as a guiding post, Pam showed up each day, met her students where they were at, and led each one of them to success. Tune in to hear this remarkable story and how Pam continues to lean into her passion by paying it forward in coaching other teachers. I am certain that you are going to walk away from this episode feeling the same way that I did in recording it with Pam. 
it was incredibly enlightening and just so, I can't even express it enough, so remarkable in what Pam is doing today. And as a mother myself, this is something that I feel strongly and passionately about that we need to see more of in our schools for our children. So I would love to hear what you think after listening to this episode. I would love for you to please leave a review on the podcast. If you have not already done so, rate and review the podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, please share it. Share it with a friend, a family member. Um, Share it on your social media and tag me and also tag Pam. Let us know what you thought about it. And just continue to pay it forward so that we can continue to spread the word and organically grow this podcast together. Thank you. I appreciate you. And I'm so grateful that you're here. Calling all female entrepreneurs. This brief intermission is for you. Registration for my next pitching meetup series is open. This next session is the fourth and final of the series. It is happening on Wednesday, November 8th at 12 p.m. Eastern. And this month, we are diving into crafting the perfect pitch. We are going to be talking about the pitch, the follow-ups, the importance of template creation, and how to grab your collaborators' attention and get them engaged and excited to connect with you. Like I said, this is going to be the final session of this current series. And the great thing is when you register for this session, you will also get your hands on the prior sessions in the entire series. So what are you waiting for? Like I said, registration is Free. There will also be a replay in the event that you're not able to make it live. The link for this is in the show notes, and you can also come visit me on my Instagram page at running on grit, running.on.grit, where you can find all of the information in my bio. I hope to see you there. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I have another amazing guest with me here today, Pamela Brett. And I think you prefer Pam, is that right, Pam? Yep, yep, that's great. Um, So Pam and I, we we know each other from the community that we're both a part of. We've uh, been able to connect more recently as we are both really building our businesses and really getting ourselves out there. And I've had an opportunity to get to know her a little bit better. She is, I like to call her myself a math expert. I don't know how she'll refer to herself, but yeah, she's just really that math expert. And she's coming with us today with a really sweet story. And so Pam, welcome to the Redefining Anger podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'd love for you to just, uh, you know, share with my listeners a little bit about who you are and where you come from. Awesome. Thanks, Kim, for I'm so excited to be here. All right. So I am a former math teacher from I live in the state of New Jersey. And I taught before I had my children, I was a teacher. And then after I had my kids, I became I decided to continue my I went and got my master's degree and then my doctorate in math education. And through that whole experience, I started to actually when I was getting my doctorate, people would say, well, what do you want to do with your degree? I mean, a lot of my colleagues in the program were going on to be professors at university. And I just kept saying, I just really want to take what we're learning here and bring it back to the teachers. I want the te- in a way that the teachers it's digestible for the teachers, right? So it's not so like heavy on, we are doing like a lot of heavy research. And so I wanted it to be accessible to the teachers because we were learning such amazing ideas. And and a lot of it was very aligned with what I had already done in the classroom when I was a teacher, which I'll talk my, about my story a little bit later, but like I'd sit in these grad classes and I'm like, oh, this makes sense. This is why what I was doing in the classroom worked because somebody actually did some research on this and it's actually like valid, right? And so then when I finished my degree, I had, uh, my, my son was three and my daughter was five. And it was one of those situations where it was like, I could have just finished my degree, checked off the box and been like, did that, moved on. And then just, I don't know, sat and had bonbons for the rest of my life and like watched soap operas, but I, that's not how I'm wire, wired. So I decided to get into the 
um, coaching space. So I became a math a coach and sorry, I'm losing the word like a, like math specialist. So I would work with different school districts and I would work with their teachers on a particular focus that they wanted to have, whether it be problem solving or fact fluency or whatever it was. And then I would help, help their teachers with that goal. And then the pandemic hit. Mm. And yeah, so, and then there's a whole nother story after that, but I don't want to, you know, we won't go there, but now, so uh, currently I am the founder and CEO of a non-Purdue is we, I created a company where we do that exact coaching for teachers, but, but with the difference is we engage them as co-creators. So that's like a whole nother episode that maybe we could talk about, but I think today it would be really amazing to like talk about like fundamentally, emotionally, why I got into the coaching space for teachers, I think. Yeah, I absolutely would love that. I know that you and I were just chit-chatting a little bit before we hit record. And I was even thinking, oh man, I should be recording this because everything <laughs> you were sharing was just so amazing. So yeah, why don't we just dive right in? T tell me, share with us the story that's on your heart that you'd love to share today. All right. So when I... As I said, I was so I taught in three different schools, and uh, my third teaching job came at because of a geographic we needed to move, and I had the choice between working in two different school districts. And so the first two schools where I taught and was very successful teaching there, uh, my kids always did really well in the state tests, and I did all the things and checked off all the boxes. And then when I had this new job opportunity, I had two offers. One was at another school that was in a similar demographic as the other two schools, and then. The second job was offered at a, um, a school with marginalized children um, in a town where it's sort of like the, the glitz and the glamour on the town, but the kids who go to that public school are, I would say, like the behind the scenes people, the landscapers, the people who work in the restaurants, and most of them are on free and reduced lunch. And so, and there was also a charter school at the same time, which I didn't mention before, but there was a charter school in the same town at the same time. And there was this, this like sort of a lot of political fighting between like who gets to pulled basically like to the charter school and then who does not and it ends up going to the prim the public school. And yeah, so there was a lot going on at that time, but I chose to work at that school and I felt that it was my time in my life to, if I was going to make a real difference in students' lives, that this was the time to do it. And I learned so much from those students from day one. Day one, I walked in and I had, they were all towering over me. I was teaching eighth grade math. Another piece of the story is that I was not clearly told what my position was going to be until like the day, it was the day to sign my contract. I didn't know if I was going to be teaching fourth grade or fifth grade. When I went in, he said, you're teaching eighth grade. And I had never taught eighth grade. I had taught sixth grade. And I thought, oh boy, right? New curriculum, fine. But the ages of the kids was a little scary for me because I'm like, oh, you know, they're going to all be bigger than me, right? I'm five one, and they were towering over me. Sure enough, day one, and I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a movie by, I think Michelle Pfeiffer's in it. It's called, uh, I forget what it's called, where she comes in and she's sort of like dressed up on the first day of school and the kids all like take one look at her and they're like, ugh, she's not from my world. And they write her off. But then the next day she shows up wearing jeans. Well, that's pretty much exactly what happened to me. I showed up the first day wearing my, my matching suit and the kids saw right through it. And they were like, she's not from our world. We don't want to have anything to do with her. And I pushed back. So the story, I think the, the, the best part of the story is that, so I started, so we started the year, every day was a challenge. Every day getting up, going to work was a challenge because every day I would get some type of pushback from the students. I had students that would like heads on the desk wouldn't like hood before hoodies were a thing hoodies were up i had one child who for some reason she carried around a, a wheelie suitcase i never knew what was in the suitcase but that's what she and and it was like you don't question her she just carries a suitcase around and she had her hoodie on now and she didn't speak to me until october at one point i went to the school nurse i said is there something i need to know about this child does she not speak at all like is there, is there an iep it was just nope she didn't want to talk to me she didn't want anything to do with me so as the year progressed, we got around to mid-October and I called my mom and I was like, now here I was a grown ass woman. Sorry, I hope it's okay that I use that word, but I was a grown woman and I called my mom and I'm like, I don't think I can do this anymore. I, I think I need to call the other school district that had offered me a job. So I did. 
they offered me a different position. They're like, sure, you can come teach science, I'm like, but I want to teach math. I'm like, well, if you want to teach math, we don't have any positions for you. So picked myself up and I went to school the next day. And I think this is a long time ago, but I'm thinking back and like, I can still feel the, in my gut of how I felt walking into school that next day thinking, okay, I have to see this out. And then right around that time, <laughs> I was leaving my classroom to go down to lunch and the main office was kind of a glassed in room. And I saw many of my students in there, maybe like 20 or 30 of them. They're all jammed in there. I had, I had about 80 on my roster, but there were about 30 of them jammed into the main office and the principal standing on the other side of the counter with a big smirk on his face. And they're all like very animated. And so I walked in and he said, oh, look, she's here now. And why don't we ask her? And they're, oh, I did. they're all mad. And he, and, he, and he said, the kids are telling me that you're not teaching them. And immediately, like my gut like fell to the floor because I was like, wait, what? And he's like, well, they're telling me that they ask you a question and then you answer them with another question. Like, for example, you know, uh, they would ask me if I simplify six eighths, does that equal three fourths? And I would answer them with a question like, well, what do you think? Or could you show me why you think that? And that was making them very angry. Now, why was that making them angry? And this is where I was like, full stop. This is where my whole perspective on teaching math changed in that moment. Nobody had ever held these kids accountable to think. Mm. And at the same time, I was being told by my mentor, who I was assigned, just get through the year, dear. Just get through the year, get them to graduation and next year's group will be better. I kept being told that in the teacher's room, the stories about these kids and what they had been like since kindergarten. So basically this class had a rep. They had a reputation in the district of being like the worst class ever, which is probably why the teacher left, <laughs> the teacher who before me left, I don't know what the circumstances were, but at the end of the day, I didn't give up. And I just kept answering their questions with more questions and answering their questions with more questions made them think. And I get emotional when I talk about this because I think like I believed in them when nobody else had believed in them before. And now fast forward, I see them walking around town with their kids on their hips and they're, you know, one of them actually became a teacher and I am now her coach. So having that whole experience was like, hmm, you know, it's about the lenses through which we look at math and and how we see ourselves as math teachers and math learners and i think what it really came down to is like who did i need to become mm. who did i need to become in order to help those students believe in themselves it was quite a life-changing experience so then you know again it wasn't perfect throughout the year i would say like by so school starts in september I would say around February, I started seeing the light in their eyes, but it was consistent daily practice, consistent daily, almost habits. Like, I, I don't know if you've ever read Atomic Habits by James Clear, but he talks about like those consistent tiny habits. And I look back, I'm like, that's what I was doing. Consistently peppering them back with questions, making them reason, uh, defend their thinking, justify their thinking so they could explain their thinking so they could believe in themselves. And then there was one day that in, uh, in April, a superintendent was very active in the building and he was, he had actually come to me back in the fall and he was like, what can we do to keep you here? And I had said, well, I need a class set of graphing calculators, which at the time was like really expensive. And he was like, done, you'll have them by Friday. But they were, cause he knew that I was like one foot out the door. I was like, I, the stress, I can't handle it. But I kept, I stayed and I stayed. And then he would do these rounds around the building and he stopped in my room one time and these two twins were fighting over some answer. And at the end, they both had the same answer. They were just expressing it differently. So like one was saying like three fourths and the other one was saying 75%, which is the same number, same value, but they were arguing to the death about who was right. And the fact that they were even talking, like the superintendent just stood there, he had his arms crossed, he was like, and he just nodded and he walked out the door. And it was like, in that moment, I was like, okay, not that I needed his validation, but like somebody else was seeing it unfold and like, yeah, you did believe in these kids. And so forget about what everybody else is saying. 
and just shut your door and do your job. And then in April and May, I had kids coming after school, like begging me to give them more math problems. So clearly that asking them questions, questioning them and asking or them at me answering their questions with a question was one of the things I think that really worked. So I don't know, I get, I get very emotional about it when I talk about it, because I know that there are other teachers out there who are faced with challenges. And when it comes down to it, it's like, you know, if you believe in yourself enough, you can believe in the other people with you, your, your students, but it, it, it's not easy. Yeah. And I want you to share too, Pam, you shared with me before I hit record their test results. Oh yeah. Just to, just to give that, just to add that to your story. Okay. So the prince, the superintendent, after I was hired, I did not know when I, when I signed the dotted line that the expectation was that I needed to raise test scores 19% in order to, in order for the state not to come in. This is like, again, there was a history with this school where the students were failing. And so they needed me to raise test scores 19%. And it was like, when I say they needed me, like they, they, I was the only eighth grade math teacher. So, and that was the, the, the grade level that was being tested at the time. At the end of the year, we raised test scores 30%. And we had one, we had the first special education student ever in the history of the school to get advanced proficient, which is like the highest you can get. Yeah. So, and again, like that to me, oh, and then, oh, so then, but even again, I know I'm like jumping around, but so when we knew that this, the scores were probably going to go up, I mean, I still didn't know. I wasn't sure. It's hard to tell what's actually going to happen. But when I handed in the test booklets, the principal called me down to the main office. Same principal that the students have stormed the main office to back in the beginning of the school year. And he had the packets in front of him and he opened up the packets. And he was showing them, holding, up, holding them up to me. And he said, how did you get them to do this? And I was like, how did I get them to do what? He's like, well, they wrote something on the test. And I'm like, well, of course they wrote something on the test. And he's like, yeah, but last year they didn't write anything on the test. So what did you do? And I just said, I made them believe in themselves because constant daily practice of teaching them to be problem solvers and holding them to an expectation. And he was like, well, and he, I, one thing I didn't tell you before we hit record, he said, well, you know, we're going to get questions about this. Like, as if to say, like the state's going to look at this and be like, oh, some other, but he did this, not the kids. And I'm like, no, we never got questioned. So because the kids actually wrote the work. So that was super exciting. And they did, they raised test scores 30%. And, you know, graduation, it was like this, you know, huge big deal. They had like roses and all this stuff for me. So, but again, it wasn't me, it was them. And it was the kids that finally like picked up their heads off the desk. The girl who I was describing earlier, who would come to school with a suitcase and her hoodie up. She was one of the ones who would not leave my room at the end of the school day and was I'll never forget. She's give me more polynomials to simplify. <laughs> I'm like, can I just go home now? You know, but I mean, I was one of those teachers who stayed till six o'clock, but anyway, but that was a million years ago. So yeah. That is such a beautiful story. <laughs> I, I got goosebumps when you shared it with me before we hit record and I'm getting goosebumps again. I just, so I, I can imagine how fulfilling that was for you too. Well, first of all, to just really see that sparkle in their eye come to fruition for them to really start believing in themselves and then for the results to speak for themselves on the test results. And even now, present day, seeing it full circle where you see these same students walking on the street with their own kids now. And even like you said, one of one of your students even went on to be a teacher as well. And now you're her coach. It's just, I mean, to see that come around full circle, I mean, that is so incredible. And, you know, for me being a parent now that I want nothing more than that for my child to have a teacher that truly believes in them. Well, believes in my, my daughter, but just that's what kids need. They need that. It's not just a, Oh, okay, here's another day. Let's check off the boxes and let's just go like, you know, that guidance you were kind of given at the beginning of just get through the year, get through the year. The next group will be better. That's not what those kids needed. They needed you, mm. Pam. And oh man, that's just a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. And I will add like one of the things that I didn't share is that, as I said, the superintendent came and asked me, what could we do to keep you here? But also my colleagues were amazing. Uh, the other 
teachers on my team at that time, there was one math teacher, one science teacher, one social teacher, you know, and so on. So we were just a very close knit team and they, I'll never forget the one day when one walked into my room, I think it was back to school night and I was walking around in my bare feet, putting together the room and I was crying and my colleague said, what is, what are you crying for? And I said, I don't know what I'm going to say to these parents when they show up tonight. She said, don't worry, honey you're going to have two parents. And I'm like, what? Because in my other schools, I had standing room only with both parents. And sometimes the nanny and the grandfather would be there too, you know, but this was like, and sure enough, I had maybe a handful of parents show up that day and, and not to say these parents, they work, they have two jobs, all the things. And so I really didn't have to worry about it so much, but I was just so drained from the day. Um, but they were, my colleagues were so incredibly supportive. They actually, there was one point where I, they had asked me, what do you need? And I said, I think I need a bigger classroom because these kids are on top of one another. And they literally were on top of one another, you know, like pushing each other and shoving because they just didn't have enough space. So my, the whole school came one afternoon and switched my classroom with somebody else. Like all my, and teachers have a lot of stuff. And I had all my gear, my graph and calculator, all of them put on carts and dragged down the hall. And the teacher who I swapped rooms with is still one, is one of my best friends to this day. And she just had a smaller she had a smaller class load. And so she didn't need the space that I needed. And yeah, so that was another thing that really helped me to just feel like the kids had more physical space. So it was like, again, it's those lenses. It's those lenses through which I was looking and saying, what do these kids need? Do they need me to back off on them? Is that what they really need? Or do they need me to just stay consistent and make them believe in themselves? Mm -hmm. And I was glad that I stuck to my guns. And then one last thing I'm going to say about that is at the same time, I had a graduate school professor and she said to me, what do you need? Because what I needed was not to go through rote in the book, like one problem after the other with these kids and like drill and kill them. What I needed was to teach kids how to be a problem solvers. And in that, I had to keep asking them questions to their, answering their questions with questions. <laughs> I keep coming back to that same line, but that's really what I did. And, you know, we weren't off the charts with scores, but the point is they all learned to believe in themselves. And that was to me, they started to see themselves as learners. And one more part of the story I have to tell you. So they were eighth graders. They moved on to a high school, a regional high school after that, after graduation. And as students sometimes do, they come back and they visit their teachers after school starts. So they'd gone on to high school had a group of kids come after school in September and they said that the teacher, now they go to a regional school district and then that regional school district, the sending schools are all very different demographics. So the kids from this particular school were on the lowest, lowest socioeconomic, socioeconomic level in that school, in that regional high school. This one girl came and she said, my teacher was walking past my desk and she stopped short in her tracks. And she said, where did you go to middle school? She's like, I went and I won't say the name of the school, but she told her and she was like, huh, like that. And I was like, yes. I was like, I told you because I would say to the students all the, all throughout the year, like, what do you want the world to, how do you want the world to see you? Right. Maybe you don't want to care, but, but at the end of the day, it matters. Right. And so they're on, but they're only going to know that you're thinking and that you're a thinking person is if you show people that like, they're not going to know that by looking at you. And they're not going to know that by looking at me. So you've got to show that you've got to prove yourself. And they did. And I was so, so she's like, I told she's like, I told her I went here and I was so proud. And I was like, and you should be proud because you did that. I didn't go and tell that teacher about you. You showed up. And so, yeah, that's my story. <laughs> that is so awesome. So awesome. I just, I love all of that. I also really love how, uh, your colleagues really came together to support you and what you needed. And that's so powerful and so important too, when community can just come together like that, you know, they could have easily looked at you and maybe even held jealousy for being able to do something that prior teachers haven't been able to do. But instead, you know, you guys came together as a unit and that's, that's, that's powerful as well. Pam, I want to go back to that moment you said when you were, you know, it was like, was it the day after you called your mom and you're like, I don't know if I can do this. I'm ready to leave. And I think at this point you had also even called the other school, right. That had offered you. Yes. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to that. Cause you said, I can still feel it in my gut, how I felt walking into that building. And I would love for you to highlight that moment because 
I think a lot of us have been there. I know for myself personally, you know, having you know, a job that maybe you don't, you're not really fond of, or you're just really unhappy at and, and how you show up and persevere through that. And, and, and you were feeling a lot of the backlash from those kids initially. I mean, you said you, you felt it from the beginning. I think it was, you know, before we hit record, but you said how, uh, you know, they were throwing things in the classroom. They were, they were just really being very, you know, they, they were acting and they were projecting how they were feeling onto you. Right. So you were feeling a lot of that anger from them. And then likewise, you had a lot of your own emotions with, you know, can I even do this? Do I even want to do this? So take us back to that moment, walking back into that school. How did you persevere? No, this is where I'll really, I'll really get emotional now, but I'll try to keep it together. I think for sure the perseverance came from knowing that these kids had nobody else. Like if I left, what was going to happen to them? Maybe they would have gotten another teacher in there, but I don't know. And I feel like I also made a choice. I made a decision in that moment to take their textbooks and put them on the shelf. And because the textbooks were not aligned with their cultural, they were not culturally relevant to them. They were just, and they were actually, the school district had just purchased these brand new, they were these big, thick, shiny red textbooks. I'll never forget they were red. And I walked in that day and I said, give me your textbooks. They're like, what do you mean? Like, give them to me. We put them on the shelf. We like just made big towers of them, put them on the shelf. And I said, we'll see about those, but we'll probably not use those that much this year. And they're like, what? And then I had them, I think, I don't know if it was that day or that week, but I remember taking a giant clothesline. And this is like a tried and true activity that teachers do all the time. You take a giant clothesline or a string and you put it across the classroom and you give them index cards with numbers on them. This time I was using fractions and I was having them put the fractions in order from smallest to biggest, right? Because again, what I also, these kids hadn't had the experience of like being active in a, in a, in a math classroom. And so I don't know what got me through that other than like that bravery to be like, we're not using these textbooks. And if the superintendent comes in and questions me about it, I'll deal with it. That I'll deal with it. Then he never questioned me. They never questioned me. I hardly use that te- those textbooks all year long and still raise because test scores 30%. So I think it was just knowing that I didn't need, I had it in me already. And I didn't need to overcomplicate it by bringing in some curriculum that was not relevant to these students, where the word problems maybe were not relevant to them. They didn't have stories in them that had anything relevant to their lives. And so I just trusted my gut. If you think about it, I really trusted my gut. And I think that's the best way that I can answer that question is I did activities that I liked to do. Right. I said, if I'm going to survive this year, I need to be happy too. I think that was the other piece, right? I had to honor myself and I am not happy when I say open the page to number 22, we're going to do problems number one through 17. To me, that was not teaching math. And that's not how I taught math at the other schools either, but because I was in this new school, I was teaching a different grade level. I thought, oh, well, I've got to make sure they're ready for high school, all of these things. But when I took, took a look at it and I had one kid telling me that one fourth and 0.14 have the same value. I'm like, okay, these books are not going to help us. <laughs> They're not going to help us. This kid needs to, she needs to feel what one fourth looks like. She needs to do it on a number line. She needs to draw it on a piece of paper. She does not need to be solving numbers one through 17 in the textbook. So I decided I wanted to be happy. So I was going to teach the way that I knew how, how to teach. And those textbooks were not going to help me. Yeah. Beautiful. I just got goosebumps all over again. I, you know, you, and you said it, you said, you did say that you, you followed your gut and that's exactly where my head went to when you said, I think it was bravery. I think it was just bravery that told me to just put those books on the shelf. And I see that as just courage to really listen to your intuition. And, you know, so often we, we're so accustomed to just kind of staying in our heads and forgetting about Mm -hmm. dropping back into our body. Right. And I'm just equating this back to just like, 
the development that you and I are going through inside of our community and just like growth in general, but just how important it is to not just rely on the thoughts in your head or, you know, what other people expect of you and to really listen to your intuition. And so often we don't do that enough, but this is just a beautiful example of why listening to your intuition, your intuition knows best and it really guides you exactly where you need to be guided. And the fact that you met these kids where they were at. Yes. Yes. You know, yes. You didn't, it wasn't about, oh, I need to follow this curriculum. I need to follow the state guidance or whatever the case is. You met them where they were at and you, you, you really listened to what they needed. And that's why you saw so much success. Yeah. And the other piece about it is that, you know, when you think about, and I, I said earlier that these kids had never been held accountable or held to a certain standard. They also had never been listened to. Like, does anybody understand why these kids are acting out? Like, does anybody ask them how they're feeling? Has anybody like tried to look into their eyes? I remember this, my mom's favorite story of this whole year was this one boy, he was Mexican. And I only say that because I said to him, I think the word, I asked him to make a word problem or something. And again, I don't remember the specifics, but I said, well, write, write a word problem about the food that you eat. Like, you know, and he goes, he took some, he goes, you won't know it just like that. And I'm like, try me. And he's like, quesadilla. I'm like, I eat quesadillas every day. <laughs> quesadillas are one of my favorite foods. But he, again, was making the assumption because he and I appeared to be on the outside from different worlds. And we are from different worlds that I wouldn't know or be able to relate to him. But nobody had ever asked him before. And so when they started, I think, I think when it started to shift is when they started to see that I was seeing them as humans. Mm. Well, trust me, like I was hard on these kids. Like I, I said some things that were really strong to them about, you know, why they needed to do their homework and why they needed to, you know, I didn't assign major like pages of homework, but they had to, to hold, you know, and if they do, couldn't do their homework in their home, that they could do their homework in my classroom after school, but they, they needed to spend some time kind of like the work we're doing in the community. Like you can show up to the class and you can show up for the test, but if you're not putting in your own time, then you're only going to make this much growth. But if you show up and do your quote unquote homework, just like we have homework, then your growth will be that much more. So, I mean, I had some heart to hearts with these kids and I don't think anybody had ever had that type of conversation with these kids. It was like, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You get disciplined, period. That's the end of it. I'm the authority. You're the kid and that and hammer's coming down and that's it. And I don't operate that way. I'm like my, discipline's not the right word, but like my way of, it was almost like this tough love was right. But it was also like, I, I'm not going to let you off the hook, right? I wasn't going to let these kids off the hook. They had already been left off, let off the hook over and over and over again. And it really wasn't their choice. And so that's, you know, one of the reasons why I think they started picking up their heads off the desk, why they started coming after school. We went on a class trip to Baltimore and I'll never forget. I took a bunch of kids for ice cream and we almost missed the bus. The bus was literally like pulling out of the Harbor. We were three hours from home. Not that the bus wasn't going to pick us up. I'm sure they would have found us eventually, but there was a situation where the buses had to keep moving. Like there was no, and I'm on the phone with my principal and he's like, we're pulling out, like we're leaving you guys. And I'm running. And about an hour later, we finally, we got, we got the bus we're on the bus. And I went back to check on the kids on the ride home. And one of the girls started busted out laughing and I was wearing a jean skirt. And because I had been running in the Harbor, my jean skirt had flipped backwards. So, so it was on backwards, but I didn't even notice. I must've been really skinny because it would not work now. But anyway, my, my jean skirt was on backwards. And just thinking about like how we had this amazing like belly laugh over that. Whereas like in September, they would have just probably made fun of me, right? But we had a true connection through the math. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, it's, these, are, these are kids that will be near and dear to my heart forever. And at the time, like I said, I was in graduate school I went and finished my degree because of them, because I wanted to learn more. And I, I could have just gotten my master's and, and like, like moved on and whatever, but I kept going. And so the, I have my doctorate sitting there behind me on the, on the shelf because of them, because I wanted to learn more so that I could help other teachers and provide them with that support that I felt like I had, but I could have used a little bit more. Right. And yeah. 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 You said that these students will be near and dear to your heart forever. And I have to imagine that the same is true 
you know, the other way around. I'm sure that to this day, they remember you. You're probably one of their best teachers. They probably will remember you forever. Oh, such a beautiful story. Two things I want to touch on feelings and putting yourself first. So you hit the nail on the head because, you know, humans just want to be seen, heard and understood at our core. I have not met another human that really does not desire that right to be seen heard and understood and and it's it doesn't matter how old you are it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if i'm talking to my four-year-old if you're talking to eighth graders if we're talking to someone of the same age or someone older you just want to connect on that level and so the so so to your point pam you you really saw them for who they were and you really connected with them on on how they felt and they and i i have to imagine that that's that's exactly how they felt in your classroom they felt seen they felt heard they felt understood you built that connection with them because you allowed you allowed for the space for that and that Mm -hmm. that right there is why they flourished yes you taught them math but they connected with you that's huge yeah yeah And, you know, to put a nod to the work that I do now. So now I work with teachers and we do that exact same thing. We make sure that those teachers are seen, heard and understood. And a lot of times, you know, teachers here, oh, here comes the professional development leader, right? Who's going to tell me how, that what I'm doing wrong in my classroom. That's not how we operate at all because we know what it feels like to sit in the seat of that teacher. And so we see them, we hear them, we understand them and we put them together in communities with one another, very similar. I'm actually building this organization very similar to the community that you and I are in. So if you are a first grade bilingual teacher and you want to be connected with another first grade bilingual teacher and you don't have another one in your school, we will find somebody in the community who has similar expertise and similar questions and similar issues. And that's where the magic unfolds. But it's about that like you said, Kim, being seen, heard, and understood. And 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 that's like you said, it's a human, these are human needs. Mm-hmm. And if we're not, I think what we're missing in schools is we're so busy trying to get the work done. And I'm not saying the work doesn't have to be done, but there's that expression you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. It's like, it's not that you have to be, and I was I wasn't like sweet and nice with these kids. It wasn't, I wasn't a pushover with them. Quite the opposite. But I also, like, I almost, I don't want to say the word forced is not the right word, but I, I encouraged them. I fostered them being heard by asking them those questions, Mm -hmm. right? They would ask me a question. I would answer them with a question because I wanted them to hear themselves being heard. I don't know. That's right. I wanted them to, I wanted them to believe in themselves that they had a voice and that's why I didn't answer. I mean, of course I answered some questions, but that's why most of the questions they would ask me, I would answer them with a question because I wanted them to feel seen, heard, and understood. Mm-hmm. You gave them just, the opportunity to feel empowered. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I feel like today we're so worried about, well, the kids are behind. The kids are behind. If I hear that one more time, I finally said to a group of teachers the other day, I said, behind who? By whom? Who? I don't know. I'm not a language wizard, but behind, who are they behind? The whole world is behind right? We're still dealing with human freaking beings. So let's treat ourselves like humans, treat our kids like humans, Mm -hmm. hold them accountable. But it's not about the grind all the time because that's not going to get anybody anywhere. It's just going to make, build up resentment and make kids feel like they're lacking more. And I also said, you know, let's not say those words in front of kids anymore. Yeah. No more. Yeah, I know. I agree. And I feel like this could be a whole other podcast episode, truly, but exactly to what you said behind who. And I, you know, one thing that I struggle with is perfectionism. And I I refer to myself as a recovering perfectionist. It's something that I, you know, every single day I work, I work on this. I had a hypnotherapy session recently and my, uh, my practitioner was having this conversation with me and she said, well, why, you know, why do you feel so behind? And, you know, it's, it's like these First of all, we set our own expectations on ourselves that are often unrealistic, but then we're forever comparing ourselves to everybody else, right? And yes. and then and then she kept challenging me that too. She's like, Well, who created those standards? You know, so I'd, you know, I'd name, you know, whoever, whoever, a higher being, the government, whoever, right? 
Okay, well then who created those standards? Then who created, at the end of the day, these standards are all man-created. So why is it that we're putting our worth on someone else's standards? So to your exactly. point, Kim, who are we behind? Like, what right. does that even mean? Why can't we just be present in the moment where we are right now, meet ourselves where we are and do the best that we can today and just strive for 1% better every day thereafter? Exactly. Yeah. It's so true. And, and like, and, and then the other piece about people saying like, well, I, like the kids are behind and they don't have their facts or they're not here. I'm like, but what do, what can they do? Let's start there because that's where I started with my kids. My students were really behind and that was part of the anger because they'd never, they didn't know how to do certain things that they probably should have known at eighth grade, according to the quote unquote standards. And they were seeing that in those textbooks that I finally took away from them. And I didn't take them away because I didn't think they could do it. I took it away from them because I was like, this is just making things worse. Like this is not making, this is not, it's just making them feel like every single day they're up against another challenge. So let's teach them. I still taught them the concepts that were in the book. I just taught them from where they were. And I would say to them, well, if you didn't know, what could you, what could you know? What could you do? What do you know to get you to the answer? Like, if you don't know what six times seven is great, either do I, what could you do to get six times seven? And then we'd have like five different ideas in the room. I'm like, okay, whose idea is the most efficient? Okay. Now you're a problem solver because then I'd be like, well, you know, so-and-so's answer, you know, if you do six plus six plus six, that's kind of long and lengthy. But if you do, you know, three times seven and then another three times seven, you put them together, that's 42. And I'm like, right. Did you do that in your mental math? uh-huh okay great who which is better and i'd be like well not not like whose is better but like which method but again meeting them where they are and they're like oh well that idea over there is probably going to get us the answer quicker blah, blah, blah. and so i still taught them the content it wasn't about not teaching them the content but it was like showing them that there's more than one way to think about it yep. and you already have the power within you to get the answers don't let some textbook tell you that you don't Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that so I'm much. Gonna have to, I'm going to have textbook com- company coming after <laughs> me. <laughs> it's not that I don't believe in textbooks. I do. And they're much better now than they were then. I promise you, but there's no perfect program out there. I will say that. But at that time, well, these were yeah, like, exactly. they looked like they're from like 1950s. They had a beautiful cover, but they were, you know, they, we hadn't quite gotten there. It was before Common Core and all of that. So but you, to your point, there's no there's no perfect program out there. And every child learns differently too. So I just think it's so important. You put a textbook, you know, one child could flourish from a textbook, but another might not. And yeah, so it's just really meeting them where they're at. And yeah, I just, yeah, so much yes to all of that. Before we wrap up, the second thing I really wanted to point out that you said earlier, uh, you said you taught the way you wanted to teach and the way yes. you knew how. And I think you might've even used these words that you put yourself first. And I just so much yes to that too, because, you know, the one thing that, you know, we learn inside of our community and the one thing that I preach all the time is you can't serve others from an empty cup. You have to put yourself first. My, my, my new favorite saying really as of recently is it's not selfish to be selfish. It really mm-hmm. isn't. And the, and, and again, it goes back to tying it to you following your intuition and really putting yourself first. And I think that's so important because, you know, when we can pour into ourselves on the daily, we have more to give to others. And that's what you did for those kids, right? Had you gone in and tried to really go off of those textbooks and really, you know, teach the way you were quote unquote expected to, but you didn't feel joy out of it. Those kids, Mm. you know, the energy is magnetic, right? It's contagious. So those kids would have felt that. So you went in and you said, no, we're going to do things my way. We're going to do things this way. And you felt that joy. They, they felt that off of you. And that's just, yeah, you, you, by, by fulfilling your needs, you really serve those children. Exactly. Exactly. And you said, use the word magnetic because it's true. Right. And then they would feed off of one another. And that was when that those twins were having the fight. And I was like, this is where the magic has happened. At that point, I don't even know where the textbooks were because I'd already moved to classrooms. <laughs> but anyway, the point is- The textbooks like didn't them, even follow you. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that they did. I don't remember. I don't remember. But I do remember those moments where them, that magnetic energy, like I was excited about having them stand up in the room and, and do the, the human number line of the fractions. Way more interesting than watching them do it in their notebooks. 
And then, yeah, so I taught the way I taught, I trusted my intuition. I taught the way I thought was best. And then they responded. And then that's where this, that's where the magic happened. So, yeah. Yeah. I love it. I'm so happy you came on and shared your story. This is such a beautiful story. And I just love what you stand for. Uh, and I really appreciate that you're passing it forward now with the work that you're doing, the coaching capacity and really supporting other teachers so that they can flourish as well. Cause that's, that's what the kids need. That's what they need. They deserve it. And I always say to the teachers who I work with, I said, I don't know all the answers. And they're like, oh, nobody ever says that to us. They usually come to our classroom and like, you know, they're the expert. And I'm like, I'm not the expert. I have, I have knowledge. You have knowledge. Let's co-create a solution for your students yeah. and for you, actually, for you, for you first. Maybe I'll have a slogan that says teachers first. I don't know. Hey, there you go. Some brainstorming. <laughs> slogans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Awesome. Pam, thank you so much. Can you share with everybody where they can find you, what you have going on uh, and all of that good stuff? Sure. Thank you. First of all, thank you, Kim, for having me on your podcast and where am I hanging out? So this is being recorded in the summer, but in the fall, I will be having my own podcast. And the name of the podcast is Blue Glasses Math, because I don't know if this is video or not, but I wear these blue glasses and there's a whole story behind that, but people are like, I love your glasses. I love your glasses. And I'm like, oh, that's the name of the podcast, Blue Glasses Math. So the reason why I call it glasses, blue, like blue glasses math, it's, it's about the lenses through which we see ourselves mm. as math teachers and math learners. So we're going to talk about, you know, how people say, well, I'm not a math person. And it's, it's like socially acceptable to say that. And why is that? And how we can reframe those conversations. And first of all, never say that in front of your child. <laughs> and, and then what does it take to like change your perspective on what it really means to teach and learn math? Well, and we'll have, so we'll have guests, we'll have me, it's going to be a great adventure. So you can follow me on, I'll be on, mostly hanging out on Instagram under blue glasses, math and, and on my podcast. Beautiful. I love that you're creating a podcast for this. I'm excited to see where this adventure unfolds for you. And by the time this episode airs, I expect that your podcast will be live, which will be amazing. So yeah, everybody go check out Pam. Go give her some love on the gram and um, support what she's doing. What she's doing is incredible. Thanks, Kim. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and for listening to another episode of Redefining Anger. If this resonated with you in any way, I would be so grateful if you would share this episode or the podcast with a friend, a family member, anyone that you believe may benefit from it also. If you want to stay connected, you can find me on Instagram at runningongrit at running.on.grit and follow along my journey. Do you have a story to share? A voice that's aching to be heard? Send me a DM and let's get a conversation going. My information can also be found in the show notes. I look forward to connecting with you.